and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. So Tim, you are closing out our CRO series, which has been focused on the ways in which media company CROs are handling the responsibilities of running a media company in this current economic environment and how their roles have really changed over the past couple of years now. Um, We had... Three weeks of great guests before this, including Mia Libby from The Daily Beast. We had Ryan Pauly from Vox Media. And then last week, we had Joy Robbins from The Washington Post. And this week, you're speaking with Edgar Hernandez, who is the CRO of BuzzFeed Inc. And I'm really curious, you know, one of the bigger questions that we've continually asked throughout this series is how the role of CRO has changed and the job responsibilities that are attributed to that role at this stage in a lot of media companies' uh, businesses. I'm curious what Edgar said about his position, given the fact that BuzzFeed recently acquired a large company, uh, Complex Networks, which he came from. What was his kind of thoughts on how the CRO role has changed for him in just even the past year? It's interesting because in some respects, it hasn't really changed um, all that much. Like, it's changed in the sense of you mentioned he came from Complex and now, you know, Complex is part of BuzzFeed and so now he's the CRO at BuzzFeed Inc. Um, but in terms of you know like the purview, um, we've been talking to a lot of CROs who the scope of their roles have brought in to include subscriptions or commerce or all of the above. But in Edgar's case, um, it, he's very much focused on advertising and then experiential. So especially coming from Complex, which has ComplexCon, um, he's got you know that background too. And he you know makes the case for you know why having that focus um, can be so important for his role at BuzzFeed. Got it. And so BuzzFeed Inc. obviously just uh, became public and had their uh, second quarter earnings call earlier this month. Um, and, and your interview with him happened right after that. So I am curious about what the earnings call kind of said about the state of their business, uh, especially since they recently combined companies, but then also what his outlook is for the remainder of 2022 and even the beginning of 2023. You know, a lot of the CROs in our um series that we've been talking to have kind of, you know, hinted at a little bit of uncertainty, especially in advertising. Um, You know, what are his kind of thoughts about the outlook for the rest of this year? Yeah. So, I mean, BuzzFeed being a publicly traded company, um, we talk so much about like media companies being impacted by the economic downturn. And it's publicly traded companies that put out these quarterly earnings reports where we're actually able to see how it's been impacted. Um, and so, you know, BuzzFeed has been impacted just like everyone else has been impacted on the advertising side and then the commerce side. But since Edgar doesn't uh, oversee commerce, we don't really talk too much about commerce, but we do talk a lot about advertising. Um, and Edgar talks about how in May, when they started seeing, you know, the early signs of the economic downturn, um, they started putting together a kind of recession preparation plan. And they presented that to senior leadership at BuzzFeed in June. And so that's what they've been trying to follow through on. Um, and that kind of basically splits between what Edgar describes as efficiency and innovation, um, which I take to mean programmatic advertising because that's an efficient way to buy and sell 
inventory and to do it in a way where it's easier for advertisers to track return on investment. And then on the innovation side, he talks about um, this slate of video programming that they've just started. Uh, the BuzzFeed sales team has just started taking to market to pitch advertisers because it's basically what are the ad opportunities that is going to get advertisers to stand out, especially heading into Q4 holiday shopping season. Um, and especially with advertisers like consumer electronics companies where they've had supply chain issues, the products haven't been as readily available, but as those issues begin to ease and products do become available, they're going to want ways to make as many people as possible aware that, hey, our products are back in stock. And so that video series is part of that. And Edgar also talks about how you know they've had RFPs start to come in for Q4. It's tracking along the same lines as Q4 last year in terms of RFP volume, which he's taking to be a good sign. Doesn't mean that that's where the money's going to land, as he mentions, but they're also seeing um, consumer electronics and retail, which are two advertiser categories that have been a lot weaker throughout the year because of supply chain issues, um, start to improve. Um, and so he's taking that to be a good sign that um, things are rebounding um, as far as what whether things are going to rebound in 2023. Um, no one has any idea. And I think uh, to Edgar's credit, he doesn't claim to have any idea either. I think everyone's kind of going into 2023 um, a bit uh, blurry-eyed. Got it, got it. Well, it sounds like he's at least a little optimistic for the end of this year, but I'll let you guys get into it. Thanks, Tim. Edgar Hernandez, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're talking about the changing role of the CRO, but then also how people in the CRO position are kind of managing the business, you know, given the economic downturn and everything. And it's kind of perfect timing to talk with you for this because BuzzFeed just reported earnings. So we have actual numbers that we're able to go off. But then also, like we've talked to a lot of CROs whose um, responsibilities have changed because like inside their companies, you know, there's just kind of been that organic change. Your role has changed because the company itself has changed in the sense of your Sierra Complex Networks, Complex Networks merges with BuzzFeed and now you are the Sierra at BuzzFeed. So with that change, how have your responsibilities changed um, beyond just, hey, now it's Complex and BuzzFeed and HuffPost all together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, prior to joining BuzzFeed, I was the CRO of Complex, and certainly I'd seen my role change many times based off of the different stages of the business. Uh, and that continues to be the case in how I think about my role. Now, stepping into BuzzFeed Inc. and overseeing all of the different brands uh, at a major inflection point and when we're setting the foundation for future growth, um, it's a time for me that I'm really spending a lot with Ken Bloom, who is my partner in this, and thinking about what the state of the business should look like. So not only through an integration of how do we go ahead and make it easy from a sales team perspective, a messaging, a product, a process, that's kind of the first phase of this, but more so in how do we push the boundaries of where the industry is going and start to build for that. And so initially here, you know, I'm actually kind of going back to the core of what a CRO has 
initially done, and that is making sure that foundationally the advertising and the content side of the business is really strong uh, because that's still where a majority of our revenues come from. And so uh, for me, the focus has been on the direct sales side and the entire sales team, but also some other revenue line items. We have an in-house agency called Climate, which was something that was formed over at Complex. And that was really this idea is that brands wanted more than a transactional relationship through an RFP. But because we were so well situated in understanding where audiences were moving, uh, meeting like different platforms or IRL to URL that we could help inform them from a product and service perspective. And so that's been a big growth area for us for the last several years. The other side of the business that I lo- oversee is the experiential, which you and I have talked about, which is, you know, complex con and complex land. And I think that's a, a real interesting opportunity too, as we think about having been in a pandemic for the last nearly three years now. We believe, as others, that there's going to be a lot of interest in returning to the IRL. And so we'll be well uh, set up for that. Uh, the other aspect is the international side of the business, uh, which I'd been overseeing on the complex side and continue to oversee here at BuzzFeed Inc., which we think is a massive growth opportunity. I think there was some press that just came out this week and how we extended our first party offering into international markets. And then additionally, I oversee the marketing side of it. Uh, you know, I'm very brand centric. When I stepped into the CR role, role five years ago, we were uh, somewhat stagnant in revenues. And so that's where you kind of think about like, what am I most needed to focus in on at that point in life stage of the business? And for us, we really started to think about from a brand perspective, what do we want to be represented and what do we want brands that come to us for. And we started to do a lot of brand mapping against brands that had mindshare from millennials and Gen Z, like Nike and Spotify and Adidas. And that's the area that we wanted to play in. And so um, we started to do a lot of that work um, so that we could start building the right products and services against that. Uh, And so on the marketing side, I oversee the uh, brand strategy. So they're basically working with all our partners uh, when we get requests for proposals. Uh, I oversee insights and innovation, which is really taking all the data that we're receiving and contextualizing. And it's kind of a paid service as well as a free service. The free service is quarterly reports that basically tell you what we're seeing in the marketplace and how that could inform what you do uh, for your audience and your brand. And then the paid service is more B2B. And then additionally, uh, overseeing sales enablement, which packages everything up. And lastly, uh, B2B. So everything that we're doing uh, to make sure that the marketplace is aware of uh, what the BuzzFeed Inc. brand stands for. So a lot of hats that you're wearing in that case. When it comes to, and maybe this is you know, oversimplifying things, but so BuzzFeed, you know, at least in its earnings reports, kind of delineates three revenue streams or three kind of revenue buckets. There's advertising, there's content, and then there's commerce and other, which is commerce, but then also events. Like you mentioned, you know, you all have complex con, complex land. 
of those three buckets, advertising, content, commerce, and other, do all of those report into you? Uh, currently not. Uh, not all aspects of them. So the advertising and content do for the most part. Uh, we do have a studio business that is doing fantastic, uh, led by Rich Reed. Uh, we actually had our first national release last week in partnership with Lionsgate. And so they continue to build up uh, a lot of premium programming. Um, so that aspect is is run by him, but from the branded content perspective, I'm overseeing those revenues. And then on the commerce side, it's split up uh, in a couple of different buckets. And the bucket that I currently oversee is the experiential bucket, uh, and that is represented through complex con and complex land. Got it. And so, like, what's the argument for divvying things up in that respect? Because, like, you know, one of the trends we've been seen with you know folks like Joy Robbins at the Washington Post, Ryan Polly at Vox Media is, and even Mia Libby, you know, talk, from Daily Beast talked about this when she spoke with Kaylee. How historically, chief revenue officer at a media company had basically been like kind of chief ad sales officer or chief advertising officer, and that that role had broadened beyond just advertising. Yours has in the sense of you cover experiential, but it hasn't broadened entirely to encompass commerce and even you know revenue with respect to the studio business. So what's the argument for structuring it the way you all have currently? I think focus, you know, especially right now, it's a big business that we're operating here. And when you think about how large the advertising and content business is, and especially the value proposition that we be, believe so strongly in, we have to set that foundation right. And so it's massively important that the sales team is set up in a way to deliver against that promise and be able to execute. And so for right now, my focus is getting those things right and setting them off so that they can continue to build uh, from there. Uh, what the future state is and where my focus is needed is really dependent on where the brand is at, right? And so as we kind of stabilize and we look at it, I might get tapped in different areas. And that's always been the case. And I'm very lucky that, you know, I came from a company like Complex that was just very entrepreneurial minded. We've been always adapting to the marketplace um, and uh, moving ahead of it. And so I think that has put me in different positions from running the international business when we needed to, because we saw that as a big growth area. That's and launching an in-house agency because we thought there was a big opportunity that was being missed. Uh, and so for us right now, there's plenty of things for me to focus in on exclusively in the advertising and content, but that doesn't mean that these pieces work in separate silos. You know, I'm working very closely with the owners of those individual businesses. And in a lot of cases, they're already working on behalf of the client side. You know, we have robust partnerships with big box retailers that very much are embedded in commerce. And some things that, you know, coming from the complex side was really exciting to see and how they were forming some of these partnerships. So everything is already currently working together. It's just that I might not be overseeing it all. And to that point, like advertising and commerce, like I do want to really dive deep into the advertising and content side of thing. But while we're on the point of advertising and commerce, so uh, Kaylee Barber, our media editor, my co-host on the show, after we had the Digital Publishing Summit earlier this year, one thing she heard a lot about is kind of concern about 
competition and potential cannibalization between advertising and commerce, the idea that there were advertisers out there who have seen, oh, actually it can be cheaper and more cost effective to just be working with the commerce teams. And instead of spending money with, you know, on the advertising side of things with the publisher, we can just take that money towards commerce. It'll go a longer way and maybe we don't even need to spend as much. And so that led to a lot of concern from you know both teams of like how competitive there is. And it feels like that makes an argument for CROs also overseeing commerce, if only to kind of like make sure everyone's playing well together. You, as you mentioned, like you're not overseeing commerce, but you are working with the commerce leads there. What are the processes or structures you all have in place to ensure that the different teams are incentivized to be working together as opposed to being incentivized to like, well, I'm commerce. I want to make sure commerce does well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it would be pretty short-sighted if an advertiser just thought if I just partnered up with a brand for an affiliate program that that would check off a box. That, I think, wouldn't really uh, deliver on the overall promise of working with a brand like BuzzFeed Inc., right? And so I, I don't think that would be the first time advertisers would be accused of being short Yeah, totally. So I, I think, you know, for us, there's so many ways to activate against our audience that, you know, obviously the sales team is out there and, and showcasing that. On the, the commerce side specifically, and if there's been overlap, from what I tell, can tell, and I've only been in the position uh, less than nine months, is that there's a system in place that the commerce and the advertising team are working in conjunction to understand what brands to go out there and to have conversations. I don't think the challenge is in overlap. I think the challenge is in what the future state of that business is and how you continue to grow it from where it is. The BuzzFeed team has done a fantastic job of building a paid affiliate um, business over the last several years, and it's scaled quite quickly. I think the question that is really mapping is how do you scale it even further and how do you leverage the teams to think more holistically about the partnerships uh, that they're building on the sales side? Um, so I, I haven't seen what has been referenced as any cannibalization of the business or any competition. There seems to be strong lines of communication. And that's not me saying I, I set that up. That was set up before I even stepped into the role. And then in the, I think it was the Q1 earnings call in May, uh, Felicia Della Fortuna, the CFO of BuzzFeed, talked about in the first half of 2022, seeing a mixed shift towards content and away from commerce. What were the factors behind that? And like, especially given that you are overseeing at least the branded content side, which I imagine where that shift was going towards away from commerce towards branded content within content. Like, what did you all do to drive that or to what extent did you all do anything to drive that basically like what were the factors behind this mixed shift towards content and away from commerce in the first half of the year yeah well there seems to always be ebbs and flows based off of like you know where brands are headed uh, so we've seen those things change consistently over time uh, the thing that you have to take into account is that there was a major integration in these quarters. And so the revenue mix was changing. And so just for example, if on the complex side, we were uh, equally branded content to advertising, that model is going to start to change. But storytelling, especially during the pandemic through 
social injustice and social unrest. And, you know, storytelling has become even more important on behalf of brands. And so we've been very well situated as BuzzFeed Inc. to be a partner to these brands to help them and do more storytelling and brand building. Um, and so I think naturally that's where you've seen a lot of growth through the pandemic. Got it. And then, so talking about, you know, the advertising side of things, and, and I imagine this will touch on branded content as well. I'm curious how you all are organized, especially post-merger, because you all would have had re- your own respective teams. So post-merger, what's the sales organization look, look like? How's it structured? Yeah. So for the sales side, I think what we wanted to make sure to do, because you have such different and unique brands here, you know, and I think that's what's great about what Jonah and Rich were able to do during the pandemic and pre the times that we're in, because I think it was actually perfect timing. So you had a brand like a BuzzFeed that for over the last 16 years, I think has been the best at tinkering with the internet and understanding how audiences are changing their consumption habits. And then on the complex side, you've had for now 20 years, us really being at the forefront of what culture means across sneakers and hip hop, streetwear and street art. And so those brands uh, kind of coming together now, what we wanted to make sure was that we were keeping the strength of each of those brands in place. And so it wasn't just about integration and let's just find who has the best relationships, but let's find where the strength of each of those brands exists and let's try to keep them as intact as possible. And so that's how we kept uh, a very similar structure that BuzzFeed already had with verticals that were very category specific and that we could just almost add a fourth vertical that was very pure play to where Complex has been building its business. And that is in fashion, footwear, uh, as well as uh, some grooming, as well as some other categories um, like liquor and beer. And so that's how we set it up. And then from there, we set up the support systems to be able to manage the business. And so some of that sits with me with marketing. And then, as I mentioned before, my partner in this, Ken, oversees more ad ops, rev ops, um, some biz development as well. Got it. So on the sales side, like when it comes to being organized by verticals, is that by content verticals? So like BuzzFeed, HuffPost, Tasty, complex or is it by advertiser vertical like retail auto cpg yeah it's it's by uh categories of business not by brands so we want the sales team to represent all brands uh and going out there and speaking about each of them fluently uh, we believe that's the best opportunity for brands to get access and work with one seller who is knowledgeable about the entire business um, and really, fo- sorry, Edgar. W- when you say business, there, do you mean BuzzFeed's business or the brand's business? I'm talking about like BuzzFeed Inc.'s business, and so pulling forward, you know, the advertising, the content, the commerce, you know, different aspects of uh, what we can provide as a service. Uh, and so we really focused on the sales team being verticalized by the categories and expertise in those categories. Got it. Okay. So I'm the, the tasty expert. I'm not necessarily the retail expert. No, no, no. You are the retail expert. So, so each seller owns a category. So they own auto or they own fashion or they own sneakers. And that's how each of the verticals are set up. And now they're going out there and they're representing all our brands and all our product offering as well. Got it. Okay. That's, 
I get confused sometimes with the interchangeability of like brands and business. Cause like when I talk to people on the media side, sometimes they use brand to refer to their own brands. When I talk to agencies or CMOs, they use brands to refer to their brands, but that's, that's helpful. Thanks for clarifying that. So with that, like the, in terms of like what those, you know, brands or kind of the verticals are, has that changed at all through the year as we've seen different advertiser verticals get impacted differently by whether it's supply chain issues, their ability to recover from the pandemic, inflation and interest rates? And and then do you expect to make any adjustments to that as those impacts continue through the rest of this year and potentially even into 2023. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we just set up the structure at the top of the year. So uh, I believe we went public in November, December time period. And then uh, I was put in the role in just around January. We integrated in April. So we're very early stage of this, this initial integration and the team setup. Uh, and so nothing has changed since then. The verticals and the expertise of the SVPs that are extremely strong are set up perfectly uh, for now and, and for the foreseeable future. So I, I don't see that changing. We started to see headwinds at the top of the year. So especially in some of, of the bigger categories like CPG, uh, as well as um, consumer electronics were like the two big categories that we started to see some challenges. And we saw that through Q2. Uh, and so we've been working since the top of the year and thinking about our messaging, our product mix, and how we were going to attack those, but also the categories that we're starting to see growth and how we were going to focus in on those. Um, and so we've had a good plan in place, uh, which we believe is currently set up for you know the back half of the, uh, this year and going into next year. Right. And with that, like, how do the different sales pitches change based on those fluctuations? Like, you know, for example, in Q1, um, I think it was Felicia again on one of the earnings calls, you know, mentioned how CPG was down year over year in Q1, but then recovered to flat growth in Q2. Um, and financial services grew in Q2, but then tech and retail have been the most challenged in Q2 and going into Q3 as well. And so like, given that you have some that are recovering, some that are doing well, like financial services, and then some that are still being impacted, like tech and retail, how do you have to adjust what the pitch is or come up with new inventory sources, add products for the different advertisers to the extent there is still money from them on the table? They just may be more discerning with how they spend it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely a matrix in each category is being hit by different factors. Uh, and so I guess each one really needs its own messaging and what's the value proposition that BuzzFeed Inc. could offer them. So that's number one. You, we couldn't have one singular value proposition across every single category because it wouldn't make as much sense. Uh, and that's also in the case of right now is we're in the second half of the year. And obviously we're seeing even more challenges than we started to see at uh, the top of the year. Uh, then it's the product mix is like, what are we putting first and foremost out there? And so we're adjusting that based off of the needs of each group. And so in some cases, we're leading much more into programmatic and having that be kind of our lead in conversation. And others, it could be um, talking about branded content in some cases. Uh, so it really depends. You know, the thing that we believe in and, and I think will 
position as well, especially right now, is we believe there's two sides of the coin that brands want. They want efficiency and they want innovation. And so, you know, when we started to see what was happening in the marketplace in May, we developed a, a plan for the recession and presented that in June. And so we've been playing that since then. Uh, and that is really tapping into how do we offer efficiencies as well as innovation? And that's kind of giving marketers their cake and eat it too. And that's where we think we've got a really good product suite. And so we've launched four new products over the last two months to put us in a really good competitive situation uh, as clients are thinking more so about that. Got it. And I imagine just you don't develop products overnight that, you know, some of those products were already in development even before May when you started seeing those signals of the downturn. But were there any products that were kind of fast tracked in light of the downturn where, okay, this is going to be a product we need to have out in the market in July, August and, you know, Q3 going into Q4? Yeah, well, I, I think we fast-tracked a lot. I mean, there's such a leveling up opportunity in an integration like this. So there's strengths on both sides. So BuzzFeed had more strength in programmatic than complex. And so how do we get the complex brands that are working with us tapping into the programmatic offering? You know, there's, I think, 20 to 30% overlap between our businesses. So that's an incredible, just natural, organic growth opportunity. So the same goes for video sponsorships. Uh, as you're probably aware, we've done an excellent job on the complex side in sponsoring IP like hot ones and sneaker shopping. I think that was a real differentiator for us in the marketplace. We really put a stake in IP and brand as a differentiator than uh, I think a lot of other folks. And so what immediately what we said was like, okay, well, how do we think about this across BuzzFeed Inc.? And so we just launched a new video slate uh, just a couple of weeks ago that the sales teams now in market starting to educate clients on. Um, and so um, that was definitely our initial thought is how do we start to level up uh, in each of these different areas? And for example, uh, for ComplexCon this year, you know, we're doing a collaboration between Tasty and First We Feast. And so what had been uh, First We Feast and our food experience is now a collaboration between those brands that are bringing out its creators, its IP, unique food experiences. And so I think for us, you know, that's really interesting about this integration of these brands. On the branded content side, like, Typically in economic downturns, branded content, branded content or you know, brand advertising in general gets impacted because advertisers are saying, well, I don't really care so much about like raising people's awareness of my brand or my product. I need to get these products sold so that I have revenue coming in. And even on the BuzzFeed's most recent earnings call, um, there was the discussion of uh, contents, the content businesses branded promotional content will face headwinds in Q3 and the content business leaning heavily on branded content. How is that just something where you kind of have to take that hit and you're going to be focusing more on the performance side of things or programmatic even more specifically? You know, I think it's going to be such a variety of different conversations happening in market, you know, 2008, 2009 was a lesson for so many different marketers. And that was an opportunity where brands that continue to spend gained market share, you know, and so we're positioning ourselves as like, how can we be the partner to them to gain market share? And that's going to be a number of tools that they're going to need. And so 
for us, the way that we think about our business is three buckets, right? We really want to simplify it for the marketplace. Uh, and that is media, community, and creators, right? In the media bucket, we have very lightweight social products. Uh, and it's really something that BuzzFeed created called Buzz Cuts. And they're basically client assets that have the opportunity to run within our social handles. And so we're now starting to mirror that product across all the different brands. So if you wanted Complex to do something similar or HuffPost or Tasty, you have that ability. So you have something very lightweight and turnkey that will perform for you that you can go ahead and leverage. Uh, we also are 100% behind vertical video as the future of where we think things are going. And so uh, if you might have heard at the top of the year when we did an upfront, that's a big focus for us as an organization. And so that's also another fairly lightweight product that a lot of clients are trying to understand in vertical video. You know, clients are very at the early stages of starting to dip their toes. The benefit of BuzzFeed is that we've been producing a tremendous amount of content in vertical video. We're seeing tremendous viewership. We're getting all the signals and understanding what's moving in those spaces. And now we can act as an agent for them to help guide them and what their future strategy is. So I think uh, as far as branded content is concerned, I think there's going to be a place for it. The format of branded content will always change. Got it. And with, you know, because the vertical video, so you all have Upshot, which is um, basically like, you know, branded vertical videos that you produce with creators for brands that go on TikTok, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts. Um, but those, in some respects, like the platform can start looking at that stuff as competitive or like we've seen with platforms in the past. Oh, they like branded content for a time. And then at some point in time, they say, Hey, it'd be really great if you started paying to distribute this stuff. Um, we're gonna, you know, Facebook had you know lowered organic reach for posts in the past and incentivized, you know, turning into more pay for play. I don't think we've seen that just yet with branded content on TikTok, Instagram Reels, or YouTube Shorts. But to what extent are you having to prepare for that already? I think luckily we we've lived through a number of the social platforms gaining prominence and uh, making changes and adjustments as their businesses mature. So I don't, I don't think there's any surprises at this point in what usually looks like a two to three year horizon of what's coming down the pipe. Uh, and so I think we're prepared for that. And especially on the BuzzFeed side, I mean, they've been so ahead of each of these social platforms and how they've built businesses on them that I think they're best situated in helping us navigate, you know, the future state of TikTok or any other social uh, platform. Got it. And like one thing with those platforms is they don't have revenue sharing programs yet. Well, TikTok is testing TikTok Pulse, but it's a little funky how it's working right now because it's basically a post-roll program. For anyone who's curious about it, we just did a video on digitally breaking down the mechanics of TikTok Pulse. But again, very much still in testing. And, and that was kind of a big you know, discussion during BuzzFeed's latest earnings call is, you know, because of the way you all report time spent, time spent is going down, but that's because the time spent with BuzzFeed content on TikTok, Instagram Reels, and YouTube Shorts doesn't get bucketed in there. And there's also the challenge of if there's less viewership on traditional Facebook videos that are, you know, 
you get a revenue share on or YouTube where you get a revenue share on and you know, can even sell that inventory, that it limits your revenue opportunities. Um, what do you have a timeline on when you expect to be able to either get a rev split from TikTok, Instagram reels or YouTube shorts, or even be able to start selling that inventory to make up the difference that's going on? I haven't heard the latest, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't have a timeline. I'm sure there's going to be discussions as there always is, uh, but I couldn't pinpoint when that's going to happen. Because um, I think it was the memo that Jonah sent out last week after the earnings call. He kind of you know highlighted three revenue priorities. And one of them was a vertical video, one of them was creators, and one of them was monetization. I, I had a hard time like understanding monetization as kind of a third um, entry there where I figured it would have been all across. But like with vertical video being a revenue priority for BuzzFeed right now? Is it then just upshots and kind of what you're able to do with branded? Yeah, that's exactly right. We think that's the biggest growth opportunity for the immediate. And that's what we're focused in on. And we've already seen success there. So it's not like we have to stand something up and and see where it goes. It's already stood up. It's performing. Uh, brands are starting to come for us to us for that work. Um, and so that's uh, what we're building off of. Got it. And then I imagine like the creators, it's, you know, the same there too. It just maybe not, you know, limited to vertical video can expand across video on all the different platforms, all the different formats. But for with this, you know, looking not only at Q3, but looking to Q4, big shopping season, there's a lot of performance dollars. Advertisers want to do things to get products in shopping carts. How do you have to tweak the branded content products to make them more suited to that kind of direct response advertising or those, um, you know, more ROI driven dollars that are going to be in the market in Q4. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, each of the brands are doing their own thing specifically uh, to tackle Q4. One of the things that Buzzfeed has done exceptionally well is their gift guides uh, that people uh, look forward to in the sense that they continuously perform and there are a wide variety of different topics. Uh, and so that's a product that uh, will continue to be out in market. Uh, there's also been specialized programming by each of the individual brands that tackle holiday type opportunities. So Hot Ones does an extravaganza that, you know, they launched last year that is already sponsored for this year. So I think each brand will basically think about exactly what the relationship, uh, is with the consumer as it relates to holiday and create products and offering off of that. Obviously we have complex con as well. That's a big Q4 opportunity. It's happening November 19th and 20th, right before Black Friday. And, you know, we'll have 150 different vendors on the ground selling limited edition products and services, as well as we'll be selling our own products and services, uh, which I think is, a, a, you know, something that's very interesting and distinct is that, you know, we've been launching exclusive product with the complex comp brand name that sells out every year. Um, and so we'll have our own merchandise that we'll be selling as well, as you know. Uh, Hot Ones has its own hot sauce. It has its own chicken wings at Walmart. And I think they have 40 different product variants now based off of that IP, as well as Tasty has its own cookware that you can buy at Walmart. So um, I think uh, that is also something that you'll see us uh, putting out there. And I know visibility can be hard in media in general, especially on the digital side. 
but especially right now, like anytime there's an economic downturn, revenue visibility just gets really blurry. But to what extent do you have sight into Q4 and what budgets are going to be there where the money is going to be from the different advertisers, where they're looking to spend that money, where they're less interested in spending money? Yeah, you know, the first thing that we'd obviously look at is RFP. So we're looking at the volume of RFPs that we're currently getting and also how much is booked going into quarter versus this point last year uh, and how that's pacing. Uh, there's some good indicators that Q4 could be uh, strong in comparison to, say, Q3. And so right now, especially in categories like consumer electronics, which, you know, have been struggling all year, you know, that Q4 time period is massive for them. And so... It was interesting for us to watch to see if they were going to be coming back in a big way, which was the thesis of our team. And it started to, and we're starting to see some of those bookings that we normally would see uh, from some of the bigger brands. So that's a really good indication to us. Uh, and so that's another thing that we've been monitoring. So also on the retail front, we're seeing a lot of activity, uh, which is fantastic from some of our core partners you know, that we do business with year long, but also from other retailers as well that are looking to uh, be in market. And so there's some positive signals. So that's all I, c- I can really determine off of. But, you know, that doesn't mean that it's going to exactly, uh, it's not going to exactly come in where maybe I would expect at this point in time, because I, I don't know, it's still um, early days. Got it. So RFP volume for Q4 right now, how does that compare to what it was for Q4 a year ago, at least on the complex side, because that's what you would have had a view into a year ago. Yeah, I don't have the exact figures, so I can't say, but it feels comparable in where we were uh, last year uh, and the right categories are spending against it. But, you know, that's, you know, stuff that we're digging into right now. Got it. Okay. Because you you mentioned like Q4 looks like it's going to be stronger than Q3, which, you know, great for you all but at the same time it sounds like q3 is going to be a pretty tough quarter for everyone but then you know again on the earnings call um i think it was you know felicia who talked about q3 revenue you know trending to be below q2 so is q3 like we're at like just about the halfway point of q3 right now is q3 like shaping up to be the toughest quarter of the year for media companies for buzzfeed uh, you know, still being halfway through the year, it's hard to say if it's going to be the toughest quarter. I, I don't know for, for certain. Um, it, it's certainly challenging uh, for all, seemingly. Um, and, and for Q4, just to be clear, you know, it's the signals of the RFP volume are there, but that doesn't mean that it's going to, I can't predict exactly where it's going to land at the end of the quarter. So it's just that there is a good signal in market right now that there is increased opportunity going into Q4 and that especially some challenged categories like consumer electronics are being more active than they've been the other three quarters. So it, again, it's really hard to say how the remainder of the year is going to pan out um, and if Q3 will be the hardest uh, quarter of the year. Right. Because I, I mean, that's been the story for the past two plus years is just the short window for RFP cycle and then also just how much has been getting booked not only in quarter but in month are you seeing any shift with that right now like I mean that's been again the story for the past 
two plus years, but are you seeing more or less being booked in month, you know, right now as we're speaking in August 2022 versus earlier in the year? Yeah, it, it's been interesting. And Felicia and a team are fantastic of looking at all the different modeling. And, you know, it's it's so hard to have comparables. You know, we forget that 2021 was a banner year for a lot of us, you know, and the year looked so different than 2020. And so, um, but, uh, so we have seen a mix of the percentage of booked in quarter dollars change throughout the year, but um, it has been less than what we saw in say 2021. And then I imagine there's also kind of the other complication of just different advertiser verticals changing at different times and they can change so quick because, you know, we talked about CPG recovering and coming back and then, but then on the flip side, there's like retail where I think it was the Q1 earnings called mid-May, Felicia talked about retail ad spend improving in Q2, but then the earnings call last week, the Q2 earnings call, she said, oh, actually retail was and tech were the most pressured in Q2 and still challenged in Q3. And it feels like mid-May to June, a lot of things just flipped. And I imagine that can also be the case now in Q3. Um, and so, I mean, kind of you know wrapping up this conversation because you we mentioned all the different hats you wear so you have plenty of better things to do than talk to me but how is the revenue team over at buzzfeed preparing for september for kind of the end of q3 heading into q4 and do you mean like specific if like there's a further downturn in terms of, well in in terms of like whether there's a further downturn but also you know in trying to get ahead of that, whether there are any like shifts in terms of priorities, like you all just expanded Lighthouse, your first party data platform internationally, and that's going to start um, officially in September. And so is it just, oh, programmatic, you know, does well or is more um, attractive to advertisers during downturns. And so we're going to really put the put down the pedal on programmatic and first party data and maybe take the pedal off other areas. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this goes back to what I was mentioning is that, you know, we did some recession planning and presented that to senior leadership back in June. And so we've been playing the game as if we are in a recession. And that really goes back to efficiency and innovation. Like we believe that those will be two of the driving forces. And so our product mix is set up to deliver against that, uh, as well as the messaging that's been adjusted per category to try to develop the best partnership for those categories and those brands at this moment in time. In addition, just thinking about the products that we can release that could be interesting, you know, and I think what we'll continue to see is and what we've seen for the last several years is, you know, jump balls, one winner wins all. And that's why I think this integration happened at the right time. You know, this is a solution that the marketplace has been asking for. And it's not about scale, but it's the diversity of brands that do different things based off of what brands are looking for. So if, you know, they're looking for something that's more entertainment focused, you know, brand safe, scale wise, BuzzFeed, if they're looking for more community impact innovation, it's complex. And we believe that's the right mix of the types of opportunities that we want to be taking out into the marketplace in the second half. And then we're going to build off of that. You know, this year is all about the foundational year. Like, let's just get things settled 
get things moving. You know, we're almost through this full integration and things like we're all starting to say we can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We did a lot of work over the last four months, but really the innovation build off starts in 2023. And we think that's perfectly time for if there is a downturn, because that's what brands are going to be looking for. They're going to be looking for innovation that they can access in very easy and efficient ways. Got it. You mentioned, you know, that presentation and kind of acting like we're in a recession and kind of reacting in those ways. We've talked a lot about the ways in which you all, how that's manifesting, but anything, any specific examples or tactics that either we haven't talked about or that we maybe have talked about that kind of crystallize what exactly BuzzFeed is doing in light of that preparing or, you know, functioning, operating like we are already in that recession. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to an example that was in, in 2020, and, and this doesn't answer directly on like acting as in a recession, but moving forward in a way that we are building things that we think are most interesting. And so in 2020, when we hit around April, May time period, you remember everything was starting to shift and everyone was trying to go and do their video programming at home. And we were looking out into November and saying, well, look, we're not going to be able to execute ComplexCon. And what are we going to do? There was webinar fatigue at that point. And we said, well, look, the Web3 space is really interesting. We think that this is a bright spot that we can move into before anyone else does and put a stake in the ground. And that's where we moved very quickly within six months to launch Complexland as this new innovative product offering and new direction of the company. To me, that was both for internal and external. There is so much uncertainty in the marketplace of where things were going that that product unified us organizationally and showed us that we could go ahead and start building things and move forward into the future and use this as an opportunity. But it also gave us something that was really interesting on the client side to say, hey, you know what? Complex is helping us navigate a a very tough, challenging time, but they're bringing something innovative that we want to explore further. And so that's the way that we're really thinking about the future state is not only how can other brands gain market share, but how can we gain market share during this time period, especially as we start to set the foundation of what BuzzFeed Inc. is. Is there a 2022 analog to that, especially like it looks like there's the potential that Q1 2023 could be a really tough time for the advertising business. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the video programming slate for us was a big one. You know, that wasn't something that existed. So that was a good innovative product that we could take out that we knew uh, we wanted to do sooner than later. And there are some Q1 opportunities that hopefully we will be announcing shortly. Uh, we'll be doing another upfront at ComplexCon. So hopefully you could attend and we'll be debuting a lot of what we'll be doing for 2023. But that's the way that we're thinking. We believe that innovation needs to exist in every quarter to garner market share and opportunities. Uh, and so that's what we're modeling against. All right. So something to look out for. So we'll <laughs> leave it on that. Edgar, thanks so much for coming on. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.